everyone, before we get into the episode, we just wanted to give a little trigger warning that we will be discussing themes of sexual assault and rape. So please listen at your discretion and just know that everything we're saying is obviously based on the show itself and does not represent every single case of sexual assault and abuse because those are as varied as the people that go through them. People talk loud when they want to act smart, right? Correct! So if we play loud, people might think we're good. Everybody ready? And the one, and the two, and the one, two, three, four! Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Sterling. And hey, this is Cloud. We're the Film School Brats. This is a show where we talk about movies, TV, entertainment from the perspective of film students. And this is our first TV episode we're going to be talking about I May Destroy You, created and written and acted by Michaela Cole. And directed. And directed, yeah. There's another name attached to this, like Sam Miller. I, I, just, I guess he just directed a couple episodes. I think he directed a couple episodes. Yeah. And for whatever reason, his name is listed before Michaela Cole on Letterboxd. That's another thing that I'm not going to get into, but I like, why? Yeah. Ridiculous, because um, this woman is a freaking powerhouse. Yeah. So we decided to talk about this show because the Golden Globes are coming up. We're recording this on Friday. By the time you hear this... It'll be the Day of the Globes, February 28th, Sunday. And, of course, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this and the big snub. We'll get into that a little bit later, but we mainly just want to celebrate this show because it's such an incredible piece of work. Yeah, it shouldn't live in the shadow of the Golden Globe snub, but... Yeah, and we if you haven't seen it, we're going to spoil everything, really. <laughs> we're just going to talk about the show, so definitely go check it out. It's 12 episodes. They're about a half an hour each. So it's only more or less six hours. It's a pretty easy watch. Or I mean, it's a pretty quick watch. Yeah. Um, but before that, quickly, what have you been watching? Okay, so the one thing I watched this week that I want to talk about was the documentary Framing Britney Spears. Have you heard of it? It's the New York Times, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's all about yeah. her conservatorship and everything that's going on. It is wild to me how, how much the media destroyed this woman. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's very interesting that now Justin Timberlake is coming out and apologizing. It's like, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'll have none of that. Sure. So hashtag I... free Britney and that's all. <laughs> I okay. God for that. I haven't <laughs> I haven't seen it so I don't know much about it. I know that John Mayer cried apparently watching it. Oh really? Maybe he resonated with the message. I don't know. It's very dehumanizing to see how People just stripped her away of all her privacy and then of her autonomy. It's just, and she was just trying to be a mom and live her life. It's ridiculous. It's insane. I would recommend. It's pretty quick watch. Definitely makes me see celebrities in a different light. But yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah, it's on my list. So I've been watching some other TV. I've been watching The Bachelor every week. <laughs> uh matt sucks i'll just say that as a bachelor i don't you know i don't know how he is as a person but as a bachelor he's not good is this the first season you've seen or like are you a fan are you have you been following uh, for years yeah i'm a fan not for years i started last year with pete's season and then i watched a little bit of claire's season i just got tired of it i don't know i just think the bachelorette is not as interesting because the guys are so friendly to each other <laughs> And it's just not. 
Yeah, part of the drama, part of the draw is to see a little fight something. Yeah. I've never seen it, but, so I'm just assuming. Yeah, so obviously this this season is also COVID stamped, so it's not as interesting. But anyway, this <laughs> is not about The Bachelor. Yeah. I also watched The Wilds. I think I mentioned it last episode yeah. or something like that. I finished it. Uh, it's a fascinating show. It I, Like the first... Honestly, I don't think it's that great until you get to like season or episode seven or eight where it really starts getting It'd interesting. It'd be insane if you had to get to season seven for it to start getting good. <laughs> I know. I Look, I, I had to watch it for class. I'm kind of glad I did because I'm not sure if I would have like, kept around, watching. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Check it out. It's worth a watch. We couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was he did that we felt was so wrong. So yeah, Bob thinks you're crazy. Yeah, he thinks he's the smartest man in the room who knows all things because Bob has observed the detail. We have to start observing Bob, telling him we do see the detail. We see you, Bob. And if we see you, it means we are right there with you, tiptoeing in line right behind you. And in that place, where rules, clarity, law, and separation cease to exist, we will show you exactly what we mean by violation. I may destroy you. Okay, so first impressions, what did you think? And actually, did you know anything going in about what it was about or anything about Michaela Cole? No, I really did not. Same. I knew nothing about anything. Yeah. Yeah, I had not heard about Michaela before. I had heard about the show even before the Globes. Mm-hmm. I just kind of flew under my radar can i just say for me the poster art on the hbo max website just did not grab me at all i don't know why it looks interesting visually but it does not correlate with what then the show looked like to me and i just i don't know why i'm kind of pissed at that because i would have clicked on this show so much earlier because it's been out since HBO Max has been out, right? Since like July of 2020 or something like that? Yeah, something so like that. It actually blew my mind that I hadn't seen this because it's so much in like my wheel park. Is, is wheel park a word? Wheelhouse. Uh, wheelhouse. Wheelhouse. I was just trying to <laughs> broaden it, yeah. add a park in it. But no, very much in my wheelhouse. But I don't know. I just didn't, I just didn't think to check it out until all this Globes controversy. Yeah. I didn't get HBO Max until August, so I don't know how well promoted it was. Uh, but by the time I had it, it definitely was not really featured. I think it was featured in the HBO Max Originals category, but they didn't okay. have a whole lot. Yeah. So, you know. Okay, so general impressions while watching it? I mean, really incredible show. Mm-hmm. The writing, or the fact that she didn't have a writing team is insane. I, don't, I can't think of any other show that has ever done that. And I don't know. I, <laughs> it's really, really good. I, that's what it I is, can say about it is a general impression. It is so incredibly good. I, I was telling you this before, but I felt so inspired by it. Not only by the actual craft of, of how the story was told and how it looked and all the characters and how it all fitted together in this beautiful, realistic, but charming world. Not only that, but after learning about how much of a savvy businesswoman Michaela is, I had double as much 
admiration for this because I don't know if you've read this, but apparently Netflix had offered one million dollars up front for her when she was pitching this idea, mm-hmm. but she turned it down because they wouldn't give give her any copyright, so she wouldn't own her show. Oh, okay. And that's why then she pitched it to the BBC, right? And they said. Yes, you can have everything you want. You can be an executive producer in it. You can have final say. Well, I don't know about final say, but you can just create it and own it. And then HBO came in later as a production partner. So love to hear that. And something that she says quite a lot in interviews and just in her speeches is how much she values transparency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that is constantly missing from the entertainment industry everyone likes to pretend that it's all for the art when it's there's equally as much business behind it but we never talk about the business we never talk about how much everyone's getting paid how much or like how the budget is breaked down which of course other business companies don't disclose all of their financial information but with the entertainment industry you only hear about you know box office or the budget but then you don't know how much they spent in like advertising which is a huge other expense so yeah the fact that she's championing transparency and that she was willing to turn down million dollars from Netflix up front yeah. speaks volumes and if that doesn't make you love her and want to watch all of her work, I don't know what will. Yeah, that's great. Also, considering that Netflix has a much larger audience than HBO Max. Exactly. It's so great that she recognizes that the power she has is enough to say no, to turn it down. Like, she's not pigeonholed to do this. And she found a way to make it happen anyway. So. Yeah. Okay. What. I admire the most about the show and why I think... Because sometimes when I see a miniseries or a movie, I always wonder, could this have been a movie? Like, did we need it to span over six hours? And for this, 100%. Because the nuances you get in the different cases of sexual assault and consent, but then also the characters, how you're not... Um, like the in the Halloween episode, which is episode nine you start seeing how all your characters are both kind of the victim and the perpetrator. They're great, but they also suck sometimes. Like, they're the best friends in the whole world, and they're just people, so they hurt each other, too. And I always admire when a show tells you, you cannot be following the lead blindly. This person is not all good. This person is not all bad, either. And having the space in these 12 episodes to do so just... I think just hits the nail on the head when it comes to sexual assault because again with sexual assault we tend to be very black and white and it's all in the nuances it's all in the things that happen in between the little gray areas that that's where shit goes down right it's actually pretty brief i mean Mm -hmm. considering most other shows are like eight to ten episodes an hour each so it's pretty brief but it, it yeah it goes really deep into the different layers and i think I guess to your question, maybe if we were only following Arabella's character and it was just about her story, maybe you could have done it in two hours. Yeah. But I think because it introduces Terry, played by Weruche Opia, and then Kwame, played by Papa Esiedu. Who, by the way, they were together in um, drama school. Yeah. And it's also interesting (laughs) that her character in the show has his last name. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm just making that connection right now yeah oh that's nuts (laughs) 
But in any case, because they have those two extra characters, you know, he's a gay man and she's another woman. You know, you have everybody's different stories and different perspectives and different experiences. Experiences, yeah. yeah. Dude, 100%. Can we talk about how great this show is constructed? Because Terry goes to an audition and they ask her, have you ever felt free or like one, one time you felt really free? She doesn't say anything. And then when she's about to walk out, she says, I had a threesome once. And then we see it the next episode, and it's amazing because, ah, she already, <laughs> she said once that she had a threesome. And then, almost at the end, the guy she starts dating says, hmm, that sounds like it was prearranged, which, again, is a weird, nuanced way of saying, okay, how, where does consent come into play, right? Because maybe if she had had all the details of the situation, maybe she would have said no. Yeah. The threesome thing was interesting because I thought, like, in that episode where you see it and she watches the two guys walk away, I thought it was already implied there that she knew something was fishy. Just the the nature of that shot and everything. But I guess maybe it crossed her mind and then it was confirmed by the waiter. For me, I kind of thought that she was a little bit sad that they were leaving. And they were bonding. Yeah, that that too. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I think it's worth clarifying that supposedly this is a fictional story, the whole series, but the sexual assault was loosely based on an experience that Michaela Cole had herself. Yeah. But something that she said that I thought was very poignant and and probably quite crucial for the whole writing experience is that she said that the two rapes the fictional one and the real one are different in some very key elements and she thought that was very important for her because she wanted to keep them separate she wanted to have her experience be her own and not start you know because when you start writing something and it's produced and a lot of people are working on it it stops being completely your own Mm -hmm. so i thought that was a very kind of telling insight into her brain and how she is as a writer yeah the ending Uh uh-huh the multiple endings of the last episode. So I want to hear what you made of it when you were watching it. Because I definitely had to think about it for a while. Yeah. I mean, that episode threw me for a loop, for <laughs> sure. Um, it's interesting because episodes 11 and 12 kind of go seamlessly together as like one hour-long season finale. Mm-hmm. I do understand why they're split up, though, because tonally, I think they're pretty different. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, the first ending, <laughs> I remember watching it and thinking, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Of course, you find out it's a, a a dream, and then you get a second ending. And then I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Another dream. Then you get the third ending, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Uh, of course, that's a dream as well. <laughs> and then you get the, the reality of the situation. And it, you actually talked about this before we started recording. I don't want to, like... speak on your rap but i thought it was a really interesting point where you said like how do you end a story like this yeah i think we saw this with promising young woman as well and here's my hypothesis sure i think we don't know how to end these stories because we're still in the thick of it we're still living through these issues every single day and we're seeing we're I think we're just at the very, very tip of the iceberg where we're starting to see women and men starting to speak up about being sexually assaulted, 
at work and their homes by their family members like in every sort of situation possible which is something that's been happening this as old as time but we just started st- like talking about it and we just have begun i don't know trying to have more nuanced conversations about it trying to understand it so we just don't have openly, enough openly 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 yeah so we don't have enough distance to see how this ends that's at least that's kind of my theory we're just in the middle I think even beyond just the broader societal aspect of Mm -hmm. it, the show spends the 12 episodes doing a really intimate psychological introspective look on what a survivor goes through. So I think at least as far from what I gather, the character in the show also doesn't know, you know, where to go from here. It's like it's it's a part of her life that she will never forget and that will stay with her and that will permanently affect the way she moves about life. So I I think it's really nicely shown in that last episode. Yeah. You know, as fantastical and and dreamlike as it is, that she ends up settling on what's happening in the moment. It's her with Ben in the garden. Yeah, because you're never going to get closure. Because what even is closure? It's... It's very similar to, just to compare it to something else, to crime films where you think that catching the guy that did it, you know, the psycho killer, whatever, that that's going to somehow make it all better. Yeah. But, but it's not. Nothing will bring back what was taken or what was hurt. So I think it's kind of impossible to have a, a nice tightly ending where yes like she got her revenge or whatever so it's interesting to kind of analyze the different endings and at least my interpretation of them them was the first one was very much what would you'd expect from just thinking and sulking it's just the anger route yeah so it's the violence the killing him the just and then hiding him under the bed just getting rid of him in the most violent and physical way possible and one very crucial detail from this one let's call them fantasies i suppose is when she when bella is over the body of david slash patrick she says i want to see his penis which would be very shocking in any other sort of circumstance but it made so much sense it was kind of like a okay an eye for an eye very much in line with the same theme of violence and just wanting to however you hurt me i'm gonna hurt you back the same way so that was one then the second one is more aligned with the self-guilt that she had and this one was more interesting because she started seeing him as a victim as well a little bit and seeing how he was broken or his trauma and how he's crying he's like over and leaves me and when he starts yelling at her there's people like there's kids starving just you know why are you making it such a big deal about this? It's insane because that's kind of what her mechanism, like her anxiety fighting mechanism was before to say, okay, this is not a big deal. There's bigger issues in the world. Well, he's also yelling at her. Calling him Referring her to himself. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Very trippy. But yeah. again, just kind of showing his side of the story, I suppose, and how he could also be a victim of sorts. But then the last one is when she, a little bit, but you know, he's, he's crying and he's. Yeah, I was, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's totally fine because it's not 
it didn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's more of like an experiential thing that you watch. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it needs to be totally explained. Mm -hmm. I was definitely super confused by (laughs) what the what his point was. Yeah. Yeah. But then finally she regains all the power. And now the roles are a little bit reversed. And she approaches him, and she's super confident. And even Terry with the other guy, their roles are reversed. And now the guy is giving her a lap dance. So I feel like it's just the perfect way of ending this story and this show. Was these are all the possible routes this could go in. Odds are you will never come face to face with your rapist. I mean, obviously if it's someone you don't. No, way more likely if it's someone you do know. So there's no way to plan this perfect thing and have this perfect interaction. And I think we saw, again, sorry to bring up Promising Young Woman, but we saw this in Promising Young Woman as well, where for the first 20, 25 minutes, it wasn't clear whether or not she was killing these men because that's sort of the fantasy of, okay, she's gonna get her own type of justice. That's like super unrealistic, you know? And that's the same as the first scenario in I May Destroy You when they kill him. Because before it's revealed that it's a fantasy, it's like, whoa, this is way... How are they going to get away with this? You know what I mean? Like, why? Yeah. The endings are almost like more interesting than the rest of the whole piece because it's such an enigma how to end these stories. Right. Something that we kind of ignored that I think is really fascinating and i really like the metaphor of this in the show is that she's a writer Mm -hmm. and so she's spending the entire time this year trying to write her next novel and i think by the end when she realizes that it's impossible for her to come up with an ending Mm -hmm. she's just gonna write what's happening now i mean i know i kind of already said that but i i think the beauty of that metaphor is that it reflects this actual piece that we're watching here where Mm -hmm. yeah we don't know what the ending is supposed to be exactly there probably isn't supposed to be an ending because she didn't die yeah you know her life is still going on and so in the moment that she had written this piece you know Michaela in real life had written Mm -hmm. this piece that's as far as she can reflect on you know she can't look into the future and know what's going to happen exactly she's still in the middle of it and this is a little bit unrelated to the show itself but Something that I find really powerful is, especially in instances of sexual assault, is that what happened will never go away. Like, it will always have happened. But sometimes, you know, even for for Michaela herself, making sense of that whole year and all those emotions must have felt very cathartic to put it all out into a miniseries. Because it's something Mm -hmm. that she's going to keep dealing with the rest of her life. There's no denying. But she managed to make a freaking genius work of art out of it, out of that. Suffering out of those emotions. And I think that's as close as you can get to closure is recognizing it and then moving forward. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of other through lines in the, throughout the, the show that also parallel this idea of taking what's happened in the past and figuring out how to move on from it. I'm thinking how her dad at the dinner table brings up a lot of past memories. Mm -hmm. And Bella remembers the instance where he had an affair with some woman. Yeah, it unlocks that memory for her. Or she sees it from her adult eyes now and makes sense of it, right? Right. Or when she's confronting Terry about 
the fact that Terry had encouraged Simon to just leave her at the bar. And it's understood between the two exactly what they're talking about. But I think Bella realizes that there's nothing she can do about that. And she has to move on and make amends with Terry. Otherwise, this is going to be an aspect that eats away at their relationship forever. Yeah. And for that specifically, I thought that was very grown up and mature the way she handled that. Yeah. Because obviously Terry didn't do it maliciously. And instead, she spent that entire year taking care of Bella almost every single day. Yeah. And Bella sees that and doesn't get angry at Terry. Maybe she is a little bit hurt the first time she finds out, but yeah. she sees past it, which shows yeah a ton of growth. And I think the important thing, too, is that like that decision to leave her at the bar is not what at all caused the rape mm-hmm. because that is a separate thing from the rapist you know like the rapist is the perpetrator and we can't make excuses for why she ended up in that situation you know that's just more victim blaming a hundred percent i think that's such a huge thing that not only do people like from the outside do they victim blame but victims themselves like personally for me every time like something happens i'm like i should have known i should have done this how how in the world would i have known you know what i mean like there's things where you can look into the future yeah and you can't blame yourselves for other people's actions yeah um i know it really seems like a cop-out for me to say this but there's so much to get into this that we just don't have time to and it really is something you have to watch to truly appreciate uh i, I think as with all works of art Like, you can listen to people talk about it all day, but if you haven't personally experienced it, you're missing out 90% of it. Yeah. So, a great time to watch this would be Sunday, all day. Yeah, instead of the Globes. Instead of the Globes. Just watch this. Um, I do want to make one little note Mm -hmm. uh, about episode 9. Okay. The Halloween one. Yeah. It's the social media one. I think Mm -hmm. it's called Social Media is Great at Connecting Us or something like that. Yeah. Truly fantastic episode. I think this is when it all starts coming together and there's really fascinating intersectionality between race gender and sexuality like this is honestly masterful work and i don't want to ruin it by talking too much about it so i'm just making a note that that episode i think is maybe the best one or my favorite one i should say it's so layered it has it's it's, I mean, there's, it, it talks about, like, everything. I mean, from the role of social media to influence. Honestly, that's what resonated with me about the whole show, is that the whole thing is so just filled to the brim with detail, with just astute observations. It just, for me, it makes me think that Michaela is just a very curious person, Maybe not only curious, but perceptive and just like a great observer of behavior around her, which is just nuts. I think she's just a freaking genius and it blows me away. Like the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, how? How was this done? The more confused and like the more my brain hurts just Mm -hmm. thinking about where to even start or carry this conversation. Yeah. I think bottom line, the Hollywood foreign press is out of their freaking minds for not nominating this. Yeah. (laughs) We're having trouble. Like I have a ton of notes and I don't even know like. Yeah. We, We sat down for like 20 minutes before recording this trying to figure out 
a way to structure this discussion and we just couldn't do it. So yeah, apologies if this episode just seems like a big thought dump. <laughs> Because it is. But seriously, like, I, I, I cannot advocate for you to just actually watch this show enough. Like, if anything, don't even listen to this episode and just yeah, watch just the show, watch really. It. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to kind of wrap it up and talk about our favorite scenes now. And then we'll kind of get into a, a, a smaller, dis- or we'll kind of get into a little discussion about, like, the globes and kind of the implication around all that. So, got a favorite scene? You know I do. Um, my favorite scene, which was a very big oh shit moment is when at the writer's summit arabella exposes zane mm-hmm. for taking a condom off like without her knowing and you just see like the life leaving his eyes yeah. and he just runs out of the room and overall it's just great to see her find her voice and recognize oh now i have a stage i'm not gonna mm-hmm. not say this just nuts i mean the one thing it's dangerous it's very it's very tricky and complicated territory but i feel like i would have loved to see her confront him personally Mm -hmm. too but again that's very scary to do so i understand why she didn't but yeah that was my favorite scene among honestly just to choose one because i had so many but that one stands out how about you what was your favorite scene yeah i mean i I, (laughs) to choose one small moment out of all 12 episodes yeah I can't even do that with a two-hour movie. <laughs> but uh, I really liked the scene where Terry is on a date with the waiter. Ooh, yeah. And you find out he's trans, and that kind of flips her whole world. But I think in that moment, the whole episode comes together. Like, uh, Bella is dealing with Della, who's actually Zane. Yeah. Kwame is confronting the girl, the straight girl that he slept with. Mm-hmm. And the title of the episode is, Would You Like to Know the Sex? <laughs> I, I i just think all of those pieces coming together is pure genius i don't know how many times we've said that in this episode yeah like i loved that moment because it also flips it on us i think we we live in such a binary society where you just assume like that's a man that's a woman and if the waiter sorry i, I don't remember the, the waiter's name Me but either. if that sorry. person had that character had not told terry she would have never known mm-hmm I, I, I love how they complicate that conversation because the Terry is actually telling him about her threesome. And when he makes the comment of, oh, they probably knew each other. This probably was an arranged thing. Mm-hmm. She's taken aback. So it's a very similar situation of, okay, does it matter to not have all the details or would that change your decision? Like, would that have changed her decision to have the threesome That's true. altogether? Yeah, yeah. And then obviously... All those other themes of expectation tie into everything happening with Bella and Kwame. Oh, it's, it's just yeah. so great. <laughs> so that was one of my favorite moments. I hadn't even made the connection about the title. That's actually so fucking smart. Would you like to know the sex? Everything about Dude. it. I, I can't even keep going. It's just like, yeah. fuck yeah. Um, so those are our favorite scenes. I guess a huge thing we kind of overlooked, unfortunately, is like, race and how that plays a role in the show i don't know man like it's it's actually really hard to keep this in like a 30 minute discussion there's so much to unpack i think a great scene about race i mean obviously race and gender are talked about constantly either explicitly or just like implicitly in the background but when bella goes to the doctor and he says afro-caribbean and she goes no that's not 
that shouldn't be a medical term because obviously like it would be very yeah. different what her ancestry is especially like on a medical biological level so that was one of the instances in which they talk about it head on that was great how she puts the doctor in his place yeah oh another quick thing that i absolutely adored about the show was how they're talking about periods in literally the most normal way i've ever seen a tv show do it and not only periods but like period sex and then also she pees a lot in this show which i don't know why i loved every time she was just peeing like very casually and it was not sexualized I know this seems like such an irrelevant detail, but for me, it just made the show 10 times better because it felt more real and it felt this is written by a woman. You know, it's not like a male interpretation of what a period is. So that ruled. Yeah, for sure. And in that Vulture article, she talks about how, or Michaela talks about how there are people who talk about pooing and there are people who don't talk about pooing. And she's the kind of person who talks about <laughs> yeah. pooing. And I, and I think it's great. Like, I love it when in shows or movies, we can just confront something head on. Something so normal that we all do, like peeing and people have periods. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't, like, why is that such a taboo thing? Yeah. It's because it's all, mostly been seen from the male gaze, the period part. So it's something that ladies don't talk about. Yeah. But even the peeing, like. Yeah, even the peeing. Everyone pees. Yeah, so many, so many fucking layers to this. Truly something else, honestly. Like, one of the best written and produced shows, yeah. Uh, to wrap this up, let's just talk a little bit about the Globes. I, I don't know, and where this all fits in. Um, again, very silly of them, and telling, honestly, that they didn't nominate this for anything. It's just mind-boggling. I'm Ricky Gervais. Thank you. Um... You'll, you'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Um, many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, fifth time. It makes no sense that something like Emily in Paris would be nominated. And this would be overlooked in terms of quality, in terms of reviews that it's been getting. One hundred percent. I think, I, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it, I don't think people are saying that took its place because I. Right. I don't know. Maybe I would. I would put it in drama. What else is in drama right yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, the only thing out of those ten shows I've seen is Emily in Paris. <laughs> Full disclosure. I thought that show was garbage. <laughs> like, it's not good. Yeah, I didn't even watch it because I. I couldn't even stomach the trailer, to be honest. I, I watched it because I felt compelled. Everyone was talking about it. You wanted to talk a little bit about that article from the writer, though. Oh, yeah. So the first time I saw anything about I May Destroy You being snubbed was this article called I'm a writer on Emily in Paris. I May Destroy You deserved a Golden Globe nomination. And the writer is Deborah Kopikin. I think I'm saying her name correctly. Probably not. But I don't know. Pretty unusual thing to do to just... It, it was it was a weird article because she's not... I don't even know what to make of it. I mean, I agree. But I don't know. Weird that she felt compelled to, to write this article. I don't know. What did you make of it? It feels like a lampshade article. Yeah. Like, here, I'm going to say this. Mm -hmm. So now you can't come at me. Yeah, exactly. Because she has that whole section of like, am I happy that Emily in Paris won? Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Or not won, was nominated. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yada, yada. Uh, and then it kind of just ends. 
It's very short. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very short article. And she basically says a lot of Emily in Paris was personal experience, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. But uh, God, if you've ever seen Emily in Paris, it is so superficial. Yeah, I have not seen it. But something that struck me from that article is she says, yes, I understand how the show about a white girl in Paris, in a Paris that has been scrubbed free of its African and Muslim population would not sit well with people. And it's, uh, okay, but you're a writer. Why did you do that? So why didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it didn't sit well with me when I watched it. Yeah, if you go to Paris, like... It's a melting pot. It's not just a bunch of uppity white people walking around and being pretentious. Like, there's a huge population. Yeah, Yeah, and if you want to watch a person of color leading a French show, watch Lupin on Netflix. That's great. That's also something that I watch. I, I don't know, man. I, I actually... Let's let's stop talking about this. Yeah. Let's fuck all this shit. Just watch. I May Destroy You. I May Destroy You. For the nth time, a true masterpiece. Truly one of the greatest shows ever created. Yeah. I, I kind of really want to watch it again, knowing everything that I know now, just to appreciate the, the craft by itself. But anyway, yeah. just to end with our classic, that was fun. I'm really glad we watched this. I think that's, isn't that the phrase we always end this with? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I am too. I, I, this is something I might have otherwise shamefully overlooked. Because I'm, I'm, in the first place, I'm not someone who watches a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually just kind of gravitating toward the big ones that everyone's talking about. And I, I honestly feel like this show wasn't really that big in the conversation until the Globes. I guess one great thing that came out of that article by the Emily in Paris writer is that it made us watch the show, so... I guess that was a good deed. Yeah. And I am sorry that I had watched Emily in Paris and not this show. <laughs> is this your formal apology? Yes, this is my formal apology to Michaela Cole and everybody who worked on this show. And this is my formal disregard for Emily in Paris. Damn. Cold. Cold-blooded. I don't care, man. <laughs> okay. I second that, even though I've never seen Emily in Paris. Yeah, don't. I won't. So there you have it. Uh, a really all over the place discussion. <laughs> I think for us it was just difficult to articulate everything. It's so we meticulous. Yeah. The show is so well like structured that our conversation about it was just gonna be a mess no matter what because nothing can compare to how brilliantly this was put together. Because we could sit here for ten hours talking about it and we still would overlook a lot of other details. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Do yourself a favor. Okay, stop listening to this. Go watch it right now. Yeah, all right. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Oh, cheer up, Squid. It could be worse. Yeah, you could be bald and have a big nose. Well, this is the end. Ah!